don't blink or you will miss something absolutely critically valuable to your publishing career when it comes to marketing because this episode with Jonathan P. Brazy is diamonds, diamonds and gold. It's like a tapped gold vein. You do not want to miss on this. It's going to give you such a beautiful scope of the things you can do to market and sell books. Jonathan P. Brazy has written more books than I care to count, and he has had incredible success as a USA Today bestseller and a Nebula Award winner for his work. I'm so privileged to have him on the show. If you enjoy this podcast, I always ask you, hit the follow button so you get notified every time I bring out a new episode. You'd miss this one if you didn't hit the follow button and you just casually check things out because I'm dropping it on a Monday and Mondays aren't my normal day. Wednesdays are. So hit that follow button if you like what I'm doing. And as always, I ask you, please share this with a writer who needs information on marketing so that they can do this full time and sell millions of copies of their books. It's possible. Please enjoy my interview with Jonathan P. Brazen. Welcome to The Reluctant Book Marketer, the podcast for first-time novelists who want to sell millions of copies of their book. I'm your host, Jody J. Sperling, and like you, I am on the journey to publication. So together, we're going to learn from professionals in the industry who have aced marketing and made it so that it's not cringeworthy all the time. I'm reluctant to do it as well, but selling a million copies and not marketing don't fit. So we got to do what we got to do. It, it wasn't until I wrote my first military science fiction book in the end of 2014 that I began to get an inkling that this was a business, that you had to market, that you had to proactively uh, push your books. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. For one, I do, I want to stop, maybe mix this into your answer. Uh, military science fiction is a specific uh, subgenre of science fiction. And so there's, there's a reason you're doing that. And how is, how do you market specifically to the military science fiction readers as well? Well, military science fiction is a, a very specific genre within science fiction. Um, Military science fiction readers are not the pew pew space opera. Um, they're in a way they're the same gun nuts that do action and adventure and 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 police books and stuff like that. You have to have weapons have to work like weapons really work. Um, things have to be more realistic. Um, people generally have to be killed. Now it may be red shirts or it may be characters. But they're they're a completely they're not completely different, but they're a big different market. In order to, and and these are some lessons I learned. Uh, one of the things you have to do is you do have to pay attention to the tropes. It's almost as bad as romance. Um, the military are the good guys. They win out. There's loyalty, uh, uh, discipline, and all that kind of thing. Uh, in my first series, I actually wanted to do a side book because there was a character I wanted to introduce who was going to become very important at the end of the series. And she was on the other side. She was a civilian when the Marines came in. And the Marines acted honorably. They actually saved her life. But a lot of people didn't like it because as one review said, I don't read these books 
to see the Marines as the bad guys. And so you need to keep that in mind with your marketing too. All your marketing, you, you need to do some of the same things like in your blurb that, you know, what's wrong, what's happening and what will happen if your characters fail. But you also have to give them a, 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 a picture of this military ethos. And so you have to keep that in mind while you're doing your marketing. But as far as how you reach those potential readers, I don't think it's that much different in how you do space opera, dystopian, um, the rest of the uh, the rest of the science fiction family. But you do have to be more careful on what you're saying and how you present it. I do think that that is I mean, we you can generalize that for any genre. Is one you do have to follow the conventions, like you said. There, whatever genre you're writing in. Uh, if you're writing a mystery, you have to have some kind of whodunit. You have to have a reveal. Um, and if you're writing, like you said, a romance, everything has to end happily ever after. You can't kill your characters if, if you're writing a romance. It's something different. Uh, and knowing what's expected of the genre is really important to finding your specific reader. I think that a lot of first-time authors don't understand the importance of getting down to the niche of who their reader is. And they spend a lot of time with the broad net trying to get anybody who's a reader. Uh, did you ever try that approach? I think I really understood it and I learned where I was making my mistakes. But one of the things that I have, a lot of people come to me and ask me for help um, to get going, whether it's a, a direct connection or at a convention or just talking. And, and one of the things I see over and over and over again is people say, well, I'll take romance because this happened actually with, a, with one romance writer or potential romance writer, but it, it, because romance is so locked in, uh, I'll use this as an example. Um, she actually contacted me because she had a, a Navy SEAL was there, was the wounded Navy SEAL who needed a good woman to bring him back from PTSD, very, very common but they always get the military wrong. And we were talking about it and she ended up having the seal die. And I was talking about this and she was saying, but I wanna write what I wanna write. I wanna write realism. I wanna, this is my vision, you know, and I've been thinking about this so long and I kept saying, well, that's great, but you have to understand what the readers want. And she's saying, well, they're giving me all bad reviews. And I'm like, yes, but if you really want to write what you want to write. And oh my goodness, you know, if you're a writer that just wants to explore your artistic sense, go for it, do it if that's what you want. But if you want to have any degree of commercial success and acceptance, you really do have to consider what does the reader want to read and what are they expecting? It's like people who put, um, I would just in one of my, one of my groups, uh, somebody had this, beautiful cover of this woman with a long red dress. It looked like a Regency romance. And in the very back of the book, at a little tiny, there's a little tiny spaceship, but you really didn't see that. And it was a gorgeous cover, don't get me wrong. Well, he posted it on this on this Facebook group and asked for questions. And everybody hit him with this. And this, this cover is gorgeous. But if you get people who want to read Regency romance and they're reading some science fiction um, imperial book, they're going to be disappointed. And yeah. so smartly, this person took the same cover, but adjusted it. So now when you read it, you know it's sci-fi. 
and it's probably imperial dynasty, uh, that uh, empire, they call it empire sci-fi. Talk to me a little bit about that piece uh, of you've learned from your mistakes, you've learned what's worked, and now you're actively marketing the books that you're writing. One of my big mistakes, and I was, I had, by this point of the time, this point of time, I had sold probably about 150,000 books. And I was at, I believe I was at a world con, or it might've been the Nebula conference. And I was talking to somebody and she looks at me and goes, how many people do you have in your mailing list? I went, what? Mailing list? Yeah, I've heard of those. That's where they, people want to sell you something. You know, she's like, yeah, books. And so I basically wasted the opportunity to sign up 150,000, well, probably less because people bought more than one book. But I missed the opportunity to sign up a lot of organic people who would want to know when my books are coming out. And, and that was a tremendous mistake. I see people now who are starting the newsletters before their first book is out. That's brilliant. I don't care how many you get. That is brilliant. You know, you could tease them with a cover or an idea or, or ask for a good, way to, a good way to get people to be involved is to ask for their advice, uh, names to put in the book, using names or anything like that. One of the things I did was I started dedicating my military books to uh, people who had served. And it was, uh, it was not, not while you were serving, but fathers, brothers, uh, famous people, and, and that, pe- that got people involved. So the first thing I really started doing was, in, was growing my mailing list. And to this day, my organic mailing list is so much better than any of the mailing lists I have. I keep them separate now that I, I do in conjunction with other people where we all put one book in you know, for free or we do a, a 99 cents for 10 novels. Um, those, are, those are still valuable, but not nearly as good as building an organic list because those are people who have actually put down money to read one of your books. And, and so they're vested already. These are the exact people you want to contact. And I, I don't over, there's different ways. That some people give them a, a newsletter every, every week with a picture of their cat, um, whatever. And it works for some people. I, I keep mine more business. You know, what's coming up, what books are coming up. I will push another book usually uh, on every one of my newsletters. One of my friends, we, you know, we swap newsletters and stuff like that. Um, and that's probably been the most successful marketing tool that I've done. Well, no, it isn't. And we'll get to that. No, the, uh, but the caveat is that this one, anybody can do. I do do my ads on Amazon. I played with Facebook. Um, they've worked, but I'm not so sure that the time put into time and effort have really paid off. The, the Amazon ads, the ADS ads, as long as you keep monitoring them and adjusting them, they could be a steady source of income. Not amazing. Now, what really picked me up, well, a book bub, that then all of a sudden getting four or five book bubs in a row really helped. But what happened was I started, it, it, it hurt me to my very core to put a first book up for free. Didn't want to do it. But too many people were having success. And so I put... Uh, my my, sent my um, United Federation Marine Corps series, which Recruit was my first military science fiction book. That book, they were still making money. All the book, there are eight books in that series. They were still making money, but that 
it was coming down or instead of you know thousand dollars a month per book it was 700 600 all down and it was down to about 200 150 dollars per book uh, per month and i put the first one up for free and i went to free booksy and i put it up for free and and gave away i don't know 2 3000 books immediately immediately all the rest of the books jumped back up to 5 600 dollars a month and they stayed that way that's powerful and then i got the book bub for it and i gave away 40 44,000 free books. Oh, wow. Book two made $1,600, $1,700 that month. Good grief. That's great. And that, that tail lasted for probably six or seven months. Wow. And, and this was right after when, when my girls were born. Uh, they were born in 2019, January. I pulled back from writing. You know, I had two little girls that we had to raise. And, and I pulled back from writing and I wrote... Um, I co-authored a book with someone else and I wrote a YA for the girl's first birthday. Other than that, all I did for two years was short stories for anthologies. So I wasn't putting out all these new books. And all of a sudden I started this first book free and my income rebounded tremendously. Now, after a while, the efficacy of that begins to fade. I'm still above where I was two years ago with the United Federation Marine Corps series but not to the same level. So I've done, I've done, free, I've done free books on, uh, free book ones for four series, I think. And those you do have to market more. I, I do, every six months I hit each of the, you know, I, I hit each of the, like free books, for example. Um, I hit them all. Uh, I will do swaps and it keeps, the cha- it keeps the tail going. At some point, I'm probably gonna bring book one back to uh, KDP and, and KU and let it, it's like a, 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 a field going fallow for a little bit, let, let it get its mojo back up and then I'll do it again. So for those listeners who are unfamiliar with BookBub and how it works, uh, go a little bit more in depth about that because the application process is difficult and a lot of people get rejected a ton. Um, what, what's your insight there for somebody who thinks, I want to try that. I have a big enough backlist that it will work for me. Um, you mean people actually get rejected? I mean, I, <laughs> I was that why I got rejected 84 times? <laughs> but you just keep doing it. I kept putting it in. I kept putting it in. I just kept putting it in. And one day, I, I, oh, I had two international over uh, four or five years. I, I don't know how, I don't know when I first started applying to BookBub. I had two internationals. Uh, and then one last year, last May, I guess it was, or no, I'm not sure exactly what it was. Um, maybe a little bit earlier, I got that BookBub. And now I've had uh, six in a row. And That's BookBub nice. make a lot of money. I think the key for BookBub is to keep trying. I've talked to the people at BookBub. Mm. Uh, I've talked to them at 20 Books. I've talked to them at um, uh, the, the New York Book Fair. Um, they just get so many, uh, they get so many applications and they have to decide what they think is going to do the best on any given day in any given genre. And, and yeah. certain people are, are looking at it like it's science fiction and romance and mystery and, and all those and sometimes it just depends on the mood of the person that day, or are they doing it that day? 
so the key to book bub is you first of all you cannot be <laughs> you cannot let it get you down um uh, another friend of mine craig martell i think he went 69 books before he ever got it now he gets it fairly regularly uh i went 80 was it 82 or 84 rejections before i'm on a streak of six in a row so you cannot give up it is frustrating they send you an email that says we only accept 20% of the books that get submitted to us. They need to change that. Because first of all, they don't accept 20%. I've yeah, I was about to say, that sounds so high, actually. I, I'd be and shocked. It, I think it, and maybe they're doing it on purpose to weed out people. I don't know, because people will get frustrated and, and, and disappointed. Don't buy that. Just keep on. I would do it every month for the same book. If you only have one book, every month for the same book. Just keep doing it. When you hit 30 days, do it again. If you've got more books, start doing that. I know people that, that will book bub book two or book three or book four in a series. And they say it, it works. I, I haven't tried that yet. I'm either all standalone books or series. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think part of my mindset thinks with my detective novel series, I really would rather give away the second one for free uh, because I'm so proud of the first one. You know how that's silly? Like it's, it's so precious to me. Um, and so I, I can understand that. Yeah. And, and that was my big thing. I went, geez, I probably went a year and a half of friends of mine trying to convince me to go to a first book free. Yeah. And I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. But what one thing you just said there, which is very common, and I understand it completely because I have the same feeling, is you have, this is, I was, um, while I was a Marine, I was also an adjunct business professor because I got my PhD doing business. And then I thought it'd be cool to teach at night or something, you know? And so I taught business. What you put into your book, your emotional, your, your sweat equity, the amount of time you've done it, your emotional equity, the cost for the cover, the cost for the editor, all of that is a sunk cost. That money is gone. That investment is gone. The sweat equity is gone. You have to divorce yourself of that book as your baby. That book is now something either you're looking at it as a financial commodity or you want additional emotional equity by knowing people reading it and seeing the reviews. And, and so you really have to divorce that. And I get people saying, well, I want to charge $9.99 for my book because I put so much time into it. No, doesn't matter. You're doing what's called pricing. You, when you're doing that, you're pricing out, which makes no sense for an intellectual property. If you're pricing out um, a widget, that you made, you have to take into you have to take into account every part that you have to buy to put into it. You have to what's called pricing in. What will the buyer, what will that potential reader pay for it? And if you're unknown writer and you have one book and nothing to make it stand out that you could catch the attention with an amazing cover or an amazing blurb, how many people are going to get? I'm going to pay nine ninety nine for a 60,000 word novel when they've got other novels that they know they like the writers that are 399, 499, 599. So it is, it is extremely important. You cannot look at the cost of your editor. You cannot 
consider the cost of your your cover artist, all of that is irrelevant to what you're charging for the book. And that's that's actually a very important piece of of advice that I would give any writer, even though it's very hard to do. Absolutely. I think too, you, you touched on something really important that some newer authors might not realize is so important. And that is the cost of an editor. Don't, don't think that better readers are going to do the whole job for you or that you can edit the book yourself or that you can, you can cheap out on an editor and find the cheapest person out there. I see, I see those questions floating around, especially in Facebook groups all the time. Hey, tell me where I can find a cheap editor. And I'm like, you want a cheap editor, then you're going to have a cheap book pay the money. I mean, you don't have to go exorbitant, but pay the money for a good editor, a good cover designer, and and let it be a professional process. Try to mirror what traditional houses are doing if you're self-publishing. Um, and it's a one-time fee and it's expensive, but then that book lives forever. Uh, yeah. Maybe you need to update the cover eventually, but essentially that book lives forever and you, you paid one time. And if you did it right, it'll sell for a long time. Like you were saying, you can reinvigorate it by giving it away free or putting it back on KU for a little while. There, there are ways to revive your books. Um, with that in mind, you have a, a fairly large backlist. Um, to somebody who's thinking, I'm going to quit my job and be a full-time writer, how many books would you say they need to have in backlist? And what's the real time cost of being a full-time author trying to market those books? That's a really hard question to answer because it could be one book. If you write The Martian and it sells as well as The Martian did, or you write Wool, you can immediately become a full-time writer because you now have this big pot of money to support you. So it really kind of depends on how many books you have. I I have someone that I'm an internet um, friend, and he's got like 120 books, but he cannot be a full-time writer because his books might sell 10 or 15 copies, you know, to date. So it's really what are you comfortable with on your output? How well are your books selling? Do you have a following? I mean, I was making six figures for three years before I felt confident enough to quit my job. You know, I I was nervous. This thing could all collapse, you know, and I had, uh, I didn't have the babies yet, but, you know, I was married, you know, I got to pay the mortgage, um, It was very difficult, but in my unique situation, when I became a full-time writer, my output came down, but that's because I was working for, uh, after retiring from the Marine Corps, uh, I took a job with a big international factory in Thailand. I was a director of international business. And because of the way the job was in the morning, I had to deal with Europe and America and all this kind of stuff. But in the afternoons were dead, but I needed to be around and, and very few people spoke English. I had my own big giant office where I was kind of isolated. And then the traffic in Bangkok or outside of Bangkok is horrendous. And there was no place for me to go. So I just, in the afternoon, I just wrote. I didn't play on the internet. I didn't have television. I didn't have twin girls knocking on my door, asking me to come out to play with them. So I put out a lot of books quickly. Then when I went full time, now I'm in my house. And my wife understands that I'm a writer. So she's pretty good at it. But there's always, can you come in? I can't reach the top shelf. Uh, can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm a kind of person who is once I start writing, I want nothing bothering me. I can't listen to music. I, I need nothing bothering me so I could just focus. And once that's broken, it might take me 15 minutes to get back. 
Yeah. And then, like I said, my little girls, I've got French doors with glass in front of me. Hmm. They're going, no, no, no. Yep. Looking at me with big eyes, you know, and then they'll try to like, like, like they're running away from me and turn around and see if I'm chasing them. And, you know, <laughs> and how can you yeah. resist? So I actually, as a full-time writer, it's harder for me to get the words in. Mm. I've done pretty well. I, I, I did my first writer's retreat up at Lake Tahoe. Mm. And that was amazing. Yeah. I just, I just put out the books. I mean, I just put out the words and, and that book is probably the highest rated of my current series. Wow. Okay. So you feel that that, that time to really focus on it and none of those interruptions really helped you. Yeah. I had, I went there with some other writers. Um, got a, I got a suite where people can work other, some of the other writers would come in and we'd be at this big old conference table, not talking, not doing anything, just writing, take a break for lunch, take a break for dinner and then socialize after dinner, which was able to rejuvenate, you know, the writing, you know, let the muses come out. I like, I like the sound of that. That was a, I had a conversation with folks online a little while ago about, would you attend a, a writer's retreat? And I was always really I've always been really hesitant about it for a lot of the reasons you said, I want no noise. I want no distraction. I need me with the page in order to get stuff complete. All the things you said, I completely relate to. And I'm always afraid if I go to that writer's retreat, people are going to want to like go walk around the lake or they're going to. Yeah. On the first day, everybody went out drinking. Mm, Yeah. Except for me. (laughs) I wrote, I was there to write. This was yes. Yeah. And, and everyone else went out drinking. And so I rented this big suite. So we had a place to write. Mm. And I'm the only one in there. <laughs> the second day, people started showing up. Yeah. Well, you know, they're hungover. They're not as ambitious. They're like, I better at least write a little bit. Otherwise, this was a really expensive drinking vacation. So <laughs> yeah, and that's what it was. And, you know, I have to admit, I was a little bit perturbed the first day. Yeah. You know, why did I get this big old, uh, this big old suite? Mm. But then it was nice after dinner to have a place to just hang out yeah. and talk half business, the business of writing half, whatever. Yeah. So uh, one thing I want to touch on, we're getting close to wrapping up is you have won some awards. You won an award in USA today. Uh, talk to me about how those kind of things affect sales. And if it's something that you should, you feel that you actually should pursue, because when we last talked, I think you were number 26 overall on Amazon for your current series. So you're doing a lot of sales to put in perspective for people. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that is, is getting out the gate quickly and winning some of those uh, or, or getting that recognition, I should say. Well, uh, when my first, no, my second one, uh, my second Nebula nomination was for a novella called Fire Ant. And I was just pleased as punch to be nominated or to be a finalist. The libraries went out and bought the crap out of that book. I mean, I, I, I normally have, you know, I, I get a few sales to libraries every month. I don't know, a dozen or whatever. All of a sudden, I'm selling three, 400 books. The libraries, all because of that Nebula Award uh, nomination. My my short my no, novelette that got a Nebula continues to sell. Um, this was I, this was just a, a freebie I wrote for my fans of this character, and uh, to my amazement, it somehow got on the, uh, the the Nebula finalist list, and that little novelette has probably made two thousand uh, dollars. All be, I think because of the Nebula nomination. And now 
the one thing, the bad thing about, I've also had Dragon Award nominations, which have bumped sales. Um, the bad thing is expect your review average to go down. There are people who yeah. will pick it up only because it was a, it was a finalist. Yeah. So if your ego is a little shallow, I don't mean shallow, that, that's a negative connotation. But if, if you're, you don't think your ego could take having your, having a story go from 4.7 stars to 4.2 for a period of time, maybe it's not a good idea because people who had no idea what the book was or the story was are going to read it and then go, eh, I don't like military science fiction. So, the, uh, but the USA Today is a nice little, USA Today bestseller is a nice little tag to have there. Um, there's, I have a friend of mine named Kevin McLaughlin, who he's from a publishing family, and he follows statistics and things like that very, very, very carefully. And he's the expert on this stuff. Uh, a New York Times bestseller can increase your sales by something like 35%. USA Today is not quite as good, but still, it might be 15 or 20%, and it'll increase your sales. Just having that tag gives you street cred, gives you validity. When someone's looking at the book, the cover catches their eye and, and they go, well, that looks interesting. What is it? And they look and they see there's a bunch of reviews. They see your USA Today bestseller. They see you've been nominated for awards. Immediately they think, well, okay, this isn't, I may or may not like the book, but this isn't something that somebody put together in, 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 in a week and just threw up online. It gives you that street credibility. It's it's been a really fun conversation. I want to make sure that my listeners get the opportunity to find your latest books. Uh, do you want them to start at the beginning of the series? Is everything connected so that you need to start in the beginning and work your way forward? Or how would you like the readers to engage with your work? Best? Depends, depends on the series. Uh, <clears throat> my biggest universe is the United Federation Marine Corps uh, uh, universe, and there you really need to start with Recruit. Okay. Um, that was the first book, except. There's the Women of the United Federation Marine Corps, which is three books which have proven the very popular sniper, particularly. Those could be read out of order. But okay. start with Recruit. Um, my standalones, um, my Ghost Marines, uh, they can be, you don't have to read those before Recruit. Uh, but Sentence to War, which is the one that uh, Sentence to War got up to number 26 on Amazon. Um, that's the book that I co wrote with Jeff Cheney. Uh, that one you should start with number one. So I would say the entry points for my books would be, if you're looking for the military science fiction, would be Recruit for the United Federation Marine Corps or Sentence to War for the Sentence to War series. But if you like military, just regular military fiction, um, then uh, you could start with The Few or one of my favorite ones, uh, Werewolf of Marines. Ooh. Three books. I love Semper, Semper Lycanus is the first one, takes place in Iraq uh, during 2006 when I was stationed in Iraq. One of my favorite series. Uh, it's only three books, but it was a lot of fun to write. Excellent. That's where I think I'll start. And anytime someone says that that's their favorite place, that feels like the right place for me to start. So that's where I'll be starting. Um, and then I will make sure I have links to the books that you mentioned, as well as your overall profile page on Amazon. Uh, do you have any social media that you want to lead people to? Do you interact there very much? And yeah, I, you want I, them to I interact. Um, I interact. Well, you could join my newsletter, which uh, I think is on my regular page, jonathanbrazy.com. Okay. But I'm on Facebook. 
some people join my, my personal Facebook. Some people join uh, Jonathan Brazy author, but I interact. I love interacting with people. Um, one of the big reasons I'm a writer is because of the interaction and yeah. knowing when I've affected uh, somebody. When, when, when you are part of somebody's eulogy, that's when you know you made an impact. Yeah, definitely. Great words. It's been amazing speaking. Uh, hopefully we can do it again in a little while and dig into the other uh, 90% of your writing career that we didn't have time to touch on today. Okay. So uh, really appreciate it. Hope everybody in the house uh, continues to feel better and have yourself a great weekend. Okay. Thanks a lot. Same to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.